This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus and Alan, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another episode of the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus. I'm here with Alan and uh, our next mayoral candidate who's, uh, who's up for the big chair, Susan Chappelle. Thank you for joining us today, Susan. Thank you for having me, Marcus. Bit of a and jury Alan. afternoon on a Sunday at, uh, at Align Collective. Thank you. And um, so we've talked to already two mayors. Two mayor candidates? We Yes, we've talked to two. And at the time, we thought we were halfway through, but there's been a late entry into the mayoral race. So exactly. we're now up to five, but we'll we'll get to that later. We're here to talk to Susan Chappelle. You've been on council now. Is it is it one or two terms? Two terms. Two terms. Okay. So I guess you felt you've done council, you've done two terms. The next step is mayor. Is that the Exactly. Thinking? Okay. Did Patricia dropping out affect your decision to run, or were you already planning a run well in advance of that? I think some of the decisions that we've made over the four years, first of all, this term's been extremely difficult. I think most people know that it's been difficult communication, it's been difficult decision making. For me, fiscal responsibility and making decisions that uh, include public consultation and adequately listen to the public is incredibly important. So after the OCP, I decided that I was going to run for the hot seat. Now, speaking of the OCP, were you surprised at the turnout for the OCP? And by turnout, I mean the lack of turnout, generally speaking. I'm an IAP2 practitioner. That's the International Association of Public Participation. So I've done quite a lot of uh, work around public participation. There's an enormous difference between engaging a community and consulting a community and just... Uh, informing a community. So I really feel like that we were operating at the level of inform and not at consult. We had made decisions already, and then we presented them to the community and said, hey, what do you think about this? Plus the level of consultation, a few pizza parties, and an incredibly single demographic uh, engagement at Brendan Park. It was well attended, but when I attended, I noticed that there was really uh, only the middle-class white person was represented at this at this event. And I'm not sure how we could have done better to get more of the Squamish demographic, of the ethnic demographic, of the young demographic out. How does it work with referendums then? Do you get a big turnout through a referendum or do these meetings actually have a, a bigger turnout? That's a really great question. If you ask a question that's basically lit the community up and got gotten everybody engaged, you do have a higher turnout for voting. Whether we had a higher engagement at the OCP, we presented green space, we presented active transportation, and we presented uh, a lot of environmental issues, which was uh, I think are all incredibly important, obviously, in our OCP and how we uh, move this community forward with appropriate building and density. We didn't really have a referendum. It hasn't changed. Basically, our OCP hasn't changed. We've thrown some active transportation in there, but the connectivity and everything has basically stayed the same. The zoning, we've done a lot of density in the lowlands, basically in really sensitive habitat, and put growth boundaries up above. And I think a lot of the mayoral candidates feel the same about the growth boundaries. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you, t you say that perhaps there was a lack of cons consultation, but as you say, the OCP, it's been consistent for almost 15 years now. Right. Density downtown, limiting growth in the highlands. So it's not really a surprise. I mean, if anything, what would you like to see change? I feel like our lack of transportation planning and our lack of uh, collaboration with other districts, with other regions, we do, I call it penny consultation, where you're you sit down, you have a meeting, you each decide on what your priorities are, but we have no strategy. 
and really having a strategy that moves you into the future with adequate transportation plans to reduce congestion, protecting your green spaces, and actually not just consistently giving kudos to the OCP and then in the next meeting rezoning the OCP, like taking items that are critical in the OCP out of the OCP and calling it a guiding document, it is our seminal document. It is a document that is created by the public for the public. In the past has gone through incredible consultation, but making sure that uh, the livability of that document is included and having strategies to move that forward. Okay, I just want to back up a bit on, I do want to talk about uh, working with Whistler, uh, especially now that we have an acclaimed mayor in Whistler. Jack Crompton is mayor he, by acclamation. Okay, but let's go back. You, you, I, I can't let it go. You said the OCP was mainly for middle-class white guys. Now, I got to ask, what in the OCP is stopping Chinese or Hindu or Sikh families or individuals from moving to Squamish and enjoying life here? Saying that the OCP was for middle-class white guys is not what I said, but we did one consultation at Brennan Park. The, the, the largest consultation that we did, the demographic that showed up was one demographic. Okay. And other people weren't represented. And I think that in, you have to do outreach in the communities. And I, our staff did a great job of going out with iPads and consulting, but we didn't really see as a council those people coming to events, uh, especially the event at... Brendan Park when we had the massive open house for the OCP where people were allowed to speak. And at that point, people were concerned about green space being rezoned. And so we had quite a few people standing up and saying, do not take green space out of the OCP. We don't want to see the estuary developed. Really passionate people talking about the environment. That was loud and clear. And we've done, we're now having the last meeting we discussed opening up the OCP again. I think we have to go back to public consultation again because of loose language that was put in the OCP. And I spoke about that language and I opposed that language on one of the OCP votes. I actually stuck up my hand and voted against the OCP because of the loose language and vague, uh, vagueness that was in some of our policies, uh, language around the growth boundaries. And now because of that language, we have to open it up and go back to public consultation. So as mayor, do you see part of your leadership as giving people better guarantees, whether they're people moving here, whether developers, you know, commercial or just, you know, private citizens, is that part of the leadership that you see is missing in Squamish, that better definition of boundaries, better definition of what we're going to be doing going forward? Alan, I really appreciate you asking me that question. I think I've been known as a bit of a policy wonk. I really, uh, I don't even like that word policy wonk, but uh, I think that when you have clear and descriptive policy and language, then people coming into your community know the rules that they have to play by. We have not adopted any housing policy. We have no housing authority. We have little language around economic development. We've done study after study, but when you do a study and then don't fund the recommendations, that's where your meat and potatoes comes. If you don't fund recommendations, you're basically saying, I love that recommendation, but we don't love it enough to actually fund it with public funds. So making sure that our policy is clear and slowing down just enough so that we can actually ensure that as we use up our land base, and we do have an incredibly limited land base here, as we use that land base up, it's used appropriately to make sure that we have amazing li livability, movability, 
and the ability for people of all equitable access for all of the people in our community that are earning low wages and high wages at either end of the spectrum. Okay, so drilling down on that a bit, of course, everybody's talking about bringing better economic opportunity to Squamish. And the question is, and we asked Paul this, and we've asked Jeff this, and we'll ask most of the counselors this, is it a chicken and an egg thing? Do we need to have the space before we can have the business, or do we need to have the business, businesses coming in and then find space for them? Which comes first, or do they sort of have to grow in conjunction? I mean, how, how does that move forward? I've been creating jobs in this district for 19 years. I think it's easy to wake up in the morning and say, I'm gonna create jobs, but living in a landscape of brick and mortar, where you're paying district taxes, where you're dealing with the employment issues of people's housing and people having to leave the community, uh, which affects your ability to employ. They're all challenges that unless you've actually lived that experience, it's uh, easy to be flippant about creating jobs in this community. I haven't been able to find space in this community to grow my business. The current businesses that are in this community have difficulty finding space. There is no economic development land. We've been rezoning it into residential. Despite the fact that our business retention expansion plan tells us not to rezone any economic development land, we've been consistently taking land that was job creating, industrialized, uh, even moving it into light industrial, the business park, with restrictive zoning, and then turning it into housing without replacing that land. And we don't have land to replace it with. So you need space for businesses to grow into. And to say that you have to have a business in a space before you build space is wrong. You have a land base that has to last you 100 or more years. All the buildings that we're building today are going to last 100 years. If you don't build adequate space for businesses to move into, you can't expand a business. And if you overbuild that economic development space, the only person that's bad for is the developer that built the space who, want, who needs the space leased out and may not be able to get the price that he wanted for that space. But it's great for businesses because it means cheaper economic development space. Because a lot of the other candidates say as soon as they get into office, they're going to put together uh, some sort of committee together to bring business into town, and they're going to uh -huh. sell Squamish as one of the great places to live. The environment's fantastic. We can't give you any incentives, but look where you live. It's absolutely awesome. Come start your business here. So the 65% who commute to the city don't have to commute anymore. We can keep these people within the community so they can be part of the community and, and volunteer and, and, so, and so forth and so forth. So are you saying you can't right away do that? I'm saying that I've done that. <laughs> uh, we've, we've had committee after committee. All you have to do is read our economic development plans. Anybody that's in economic development, and I have a degree in economic development, anybody that knows anything about economic development knows that jobs are created at home, that the savior business that comes in here and needs economic development benefits and tax incentives to grow their business here, they generally move out as soon as the tax incentive is over. Uh, you know, companies like Amazon that are, are being offered these massive amounts of tax incentives actually cost your community money in resources, and it ends up being the small businesses that pay for those resources. Yeah, well, they're talking about bringing in red tech companies, right? To, uh, companies that would benefit from an area like this. Not necessarily, like, they're talking about pinpoint specific companies with seven to 20 employees. Oh, we've yeah. never thought about that. Oh, That's I know, brand new. <laughs> well, it, so I'm just, like you're saying, these, this, these are the plans they're going to implement as soon as they get into office. So. Yeah, there's no place to house those businesses. We don't have, if you wanted to go out and add a business today, there is not a single comprehensive building uh, that you could actually invite a company up, and there's no land. When you've residentialized your entire land base and you want a company to come up, 
you can say, come on up, but then show them around. And we've done that numerous times as invited companies to come, but they haven't been able to find space. So then how would you suggest to diversify the economy then by bringing in more business to sort of subset the high property taxes that you've been seeing? We need more collaborative workspaces. We need, you know, we have two collaborative workspaces in uh, Squamish right now where we have, there's about 30 small businesses in the Line Collective right now. And as they grow, they're going to need to find new space, but this is their temporary home until they can find space. So as we grow new economic development opportunities and new spaces and comprehensive buildings, there's, uh, you know, the BOSA building will have a comprehensive building. It's only got, it's, it will have four floors, each 4,000 square feet. And the Cornerstone was the same thing. We, it took us over 10 years to develop the Cornerstone building after going through policy and studies and doing a downtown parking study finding land, making sure it was the appropriate land to use. This was all just to build a four-floor workspace. And now there's hundreds of people literally working that building. And it's all local businesses. It wasn't tech saviors. It wasn't people from out of town. It was local businesses that grew in this town, built a building because they needed the space, and did it collaboratively together. You know, co-purchasing is an idea that's come around uh, that I hear people talking about in the space, uh, being able to utilize space in buildings together and working across sectors as well. That builds jobs and people working in the same space, even just in the Line Collective here, we build collaborative relationships and watching people work together and notice what each other are doing and then find relationships and ways to build and grow bigger and better businesses together, helping each other. That's how businesses another work. Another part of your platform in building small business locally is making small business taxation more affordable. So does that mean lowering taxes? To my mind, that means lowering small business taxes, which I'm sure would be popular. The problem with small business taxes in this town is, again, I point back residentialization. When you say that you can have six floors of high density above a business, that business space becomes taxed at the same or higher rates. Our downtown businesses went up 17% in their assessments because now their land is zoned for apartments and condos, which are, you know, the price of those buildings is really high. So when your assessment goes up and then you add onto that a multiplier on your residential taxes and taxes are 4% and then you add a 2.8 multiplier on top of that, you end up paying 9% more of an assessment that's incredibly high. So I argued for a 0.01% decrease in our taxes this year because we were above the provincial average. All I wanted to do was bring it down to the provincial average. And it took putting it forward three times before council agreed to a 0.01% decrease in business taxes. It's still, our taxes were incredibly high. And as a small business in, and you have no opportunity to grow, you have no ability to expand your business. And what happens is I have to pass that cost on to small businesses, or I have to pass that cost on to my employees, or I have to pass that cost on to the public. And then your business becomes expensive, and then we end up competing with a global economy and an online economy. So, you know, we're ha perfectly happy to give large corporations business tax cuts, but when our small businesses come and say, look, we're struggling here, we need some benefit, there has, and, and then you've residentialized everything, something has to be passed on. And people don't realize that actually small business makes up two-thirds, speaking nationally, you know, if you want to localize it, the proportion changes, but nationally, small business makes up two-thirds of the economy. 
and they tend to care, m carry most of the tax and regulatory burden out of proportion to large corporations, and a lot of people don't realize that. Absolutely. Okay, so now moving forward, and I'm not, that wasn't a softball to Susan, I just, I feel like I want to get that out there because I, I see too many people talking about bringing in these big corporations, you know, there's still that branch plant mentality that we need a big plant with, you know, 200 cars parked outside of it every day, which... I don't think is the answer. But anyways, enough about about my rants and raves. We're here I to I could do uh, the same rant. We're, we're we're here to get we're here to get Susan Chappelle, who actually is running for mayor, not me. Um, we're here to get her opinion on this. But I want to move forward. I want to talk about about Whistler. I brought it up earlier. We've got Jack Crompton now. He's a little different from what we've seen in Whistler Mayors in that he has said that he wants to work with Squamish on a transportation uh, solution. In your mind, what would that solution look like? If we have a collaborative mayor working with us in Whistler, and I do think Jack Crompton is that guy. I, I do think Jack is, uh, he's worked really hard. He's excellent with policy. He's doing his political science degree at Harvard right now. He'll be a gr an amazing man to work with. We could have Whistler transportation tomorrow. We've had previously had a bus to Whistler, and everybody knows that it was cut by the mayor of Whistler when Ken Malamad was in office. The money was put in a pot of money that was not continuous. When that pot of money ran out, Whistler Council had the decision to make on whether to continue having a bus to Squamish or not, and they said we could have the bus, but Squamish has to pay the full meal deal. Pemberton decided to take on the full meal deal. They pay because they have a lot of their staff working in, in Whistler. And we decided that that wasn't an expense we wanted to take on on our own. I do think that splitting the budget, we have a, a lot of their uh, hotel staff live in Squamish. And as you know, we've had incredibly horrendous accidents on the highway uh, with hotel staff commuting back and forth. I would love to see regional transit immediately to Whistler. In the next budget after I'm elected, if I'm elected, I would love to see regional transit. It's also, we're driving our kids up and down the highway to ski school, to mountain bike school. And we don't have those opportunities yet in Squamish. We have mountain bike school, but many of our kids do ski school in the winter. When the bus ran, we could pop our kids on the bus and know when they were getting home and know that they were going to be safe. When you have single vehicles running up and down the highway, it makes for congestion. And seeing some of that congestion move to regional transportation between Whistler and Squamish would be an amazing thing. And I've been a huge advocate of that. Okay, now something that Squamish is probably not going to see eye to eye with, uh, with Whistler. Uh, we asked Paul Lally this, and because Garibaldi at Squamish is, they've been having local meetings and they're sort of gearing up again. They feel that the time is right for a new ski resort. Well, actually a new multi-season resort in the area. And if you look at the traffic, uh, or if you look at what's going on in Whistler in the summer now, the mountain biking is actually outstripping skiing. Yes. And of, as you know, we have a lot of mountain bikers here in Squamish. So what is your feelings about Garibaldi at Squamish? Garibaldi at Squamish Resort, it's gone through numerous, numerous iterations. And the one that's been presented to me now is scaled back, and I don't mind it as a resort. But I have a lot of questions about the infrastructure, how the infrastructure is going to be paid for, who's going to pay for the road and the road renewal and the road maintenance. I'm worried about services. We already have a battle keeping volunteer firefighters. Currently, we're run off volunteer firefighters, and I, I am concerned that uh, we wouldn't be able to staff a volunteer fire department for that region, also RCMP. So it will bring in taxes, but as we know, residential taxes do not pay for 
services like that. So I'm going to be watching all of those. I have a lot of questions about the infrastructure. They know that I have a lot of questions about the infrastructure. And to say that I'm for or against, I think is until you know the finances and how it's going to affect your district, I don't know how anybody can say they're for something without understanding the implications to your citizens. So as you say, traffic, congestion, transportation issues, services, infrastructure, water supply. We still don't really understand what they're using for water supply. Are they going to be using our water supply? Are they going to be, uh, they've been looking at a different aquifer. And I think they can get there. I know that they want to be included in our community. Right now, they're included in the SLRD. And if we bring them into our community, that would be an incredible tax on our budget right now. It will also bring taxes and resources and employment to the district. I love the employment that's going to occur up there. Well, you say t a tax on our, on our budget, I guess, in the sense that in terms of infrastructure. Yes. But presumably, a lot of that infrastructure could be paid for by them. In fact, maybe even part of an amenity package could be a fire department. I agree. I totally agree. And until you see the amenity packages in front of you to say yes or no to a project and make sure that it's long-term sustainable. Again, we look at these pots of money that are given to us. Once that pot of money is gone, then it's your tax base that's paying for it. And often we don't we have priorities that are outside of outside of that region and you end up spending the money elsewhere. All of those things have to be looked at comprehensively and within our budget and within our community priorities and have to be, you know, public consultation. I think it should have been a referendum question on our municipal elections uh, and actually really ask the public what they think, yes or no. Then that would have been an adequate thing to say yes or no to. I am, you know, I'm very fiscally conservative, even with the Buckley Avenue housing project until numbers are in front of me and I can understand the impact to our budget. I have difficulty supporting projects that are just an idea. I think there's some amazing ideas. There's, um, you know, water parks. There's all these amazing ideas out there that are, are that would be amazing to have in our community. We're still only 20,000 people, and we're 20,000 people with very little industry and jobs paying our taxes. We're a completely residentialized tax base. In fact, I just looked at our data online. Three quarters of our business licenses are within the residential building sector. If there is any blip in our economy, it, if, the, if the Bank of Canada rate goes up by a percent, we're going to see a slump in the housing market. What is that going to do to our housing market? All the projects that have been promised, everything, all the housing that's been promised could stop tomorrow if there is a negative downturn in the residential sector. Uh, housing is, of course, a big issue, and you've been on the podcast before talking about housing. You've had some creative ideas. As you say, you're, you're e economically, you're fiscally conservative. You watch the, I mean, you've got ideas, but you realize that they've got to be paid for. So what are some of the ideas that you have for paying things for, like, affordable housing or replacing Brennan Park uh, and so on? I mean, the list goes on. <laughs> yeah, because it's a large number, right? The, the, the number that's going around. $200 million. Dollars. Well, you just doubled the number yeah, you just that we doubled. heard. We heard $100 yeah. million. Well, $100 million just for Brennan Park. Right. Uh, so we're looking at Our real estate strategy, It's $200 million is still low yeah, compared so to fire halls. And everything else. So that's 200 million in. over a span of what, eight, ten years? We're looking at that. Or how, how long? 20 years for 100 million or 200 million? Is that what we're looking? So we need to sort of incur an extra 10 million a year for these <laughs> amenities. Is that what you're talking about? Like these, these are big numbers, right? They're big numbers. We haven't been taking in nearly enough. You know, in Squamish, our land base is different than anywhere else. We are a long corridor. We have 12 kilometers, basically, from downtown to the to the highlands, not including the square meters of how, how much land we have, but 
we have very little land left that the district has control over. So without collaboration with the school board, we know that we need schools. The hospital is an enormous concern for me. That hospital was built because it needed to be away from the chemical plant downtown. So they put it on a piece of land that is not earthquake proof. It's basically built on a river, an old riverbed. And if there was an earthquake, that would be a horrible situation. So are we planning for our healthcare, our schools, our economic development, I honestly... Well, where do we start then? I exactly. Mean. Where do we start? We need partnerships. And we have to look at amalgamating our services. So we need a new municipal hall. We need a new Brennan Park. We don't even... Oh, the, the land that Brennan Park sits on is still crown land. And that was left out of all the consultation. We don't have the ability to actually build because we don't own the land. So the very first thing we need to do is ensure that our land base is in our control. So working with the provincial government to take that Crown Land grant and turn it into a grant that is actually allows Squamish to build on that land and then amalgamating our services. Brendan Park is the center of our community. It's on an active transportation trail and we know what's happened downtown with the densification. Jumar ended up in uh, you know d high density in the downtown, not an unusual thing. But having a school right there is incredibly complicated. We could reorganize our land use downtown, move the public schools over into Howe Sound, and move Howe Sound to Brendan Park, and then move Muni Hall to Brendan Park, so that your kids are going to school. Instead of being in front of a McDonald's, the kids are swimming and doing activities every day. There's a lot of collaboration that needs to take place between the school district, the municipality, and the healthcare authority in order to organize our land so we're not all doing separate plans. But just to clarify on that project, are you talking about condensing House Sound Secretary, Brandon Park, and Municipal Hall into one complex where on the Brandon Park lands? Yes. You know, our buses go there. There's a safe, lit trail, trail, the pedestrian trail that goes there. There's high density there already. But you're dealing with a lot of levels of government to do that, right? So, I mean, but they're all local levels of government. Well, but the, the school, if you want to move the school there, you're talking to the province, right? And if you're talking yes. about Brendan Park, it's on provincial land. And then you have, you know, you have your center of government on, you know, crown land. So, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of partnering to do, let's say. Absolutely. Right? So that's, but that's fiscally, when you look at $200 million, that seems pretty daunting. And also their land use, work, when know? they need, whenever, when all our kids are in portables and our hospital is in need of expansion and you have limited land, there is no other way except for collaborating with higher levels of government. And that's what I'm good at. I'm good at bringing people together. I'm experienced at bringing people together to create relationships and look at problems comprehensively. You can spit out those election terms. I'm going to create jobs. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to build new facilities, but really, you know, unless we tax enormous amounts, which we do not, people in this district ha can barely pay their property taxes now. So our businesses can barely pay their property taxes. Well, I know. I own a house and a business. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, our Muni Hall being downtown, that's a huge piece of land. We own land that we could resource. And it has been talked about, it actually been talked about for quite some time about incorporating Municipal Hall at Brennan Park. Incorporating the high school at Brennan Park, I've never heard before, but I'm assuming that you feel if that sort of project, you could approach the province and possibly the federal government for some sort of grant Absolutely. to make that project. Is that your thinking? My thinking is exactly that. Has it been done before or would it be like really breaking oh yes. the territory? No, no. <laughs> that is the amazing thing about all these ideas is that if you come up with a good idea, the chances of it being spectacularly new is pretty rare. 
communities around the world put their schools in their recreation centers for obvious reasons of children's health care. We have our school located in an awkward transportation area that's really difficult to get to. Buckley Avenue is connected to our downtown, so most people in residential areas have to take Buckley to get downtown during school times. It's crazy. So instead of building, you know, and using that land and resourcing that land for new schools, keeping it as school land so that we can grow, but taking the high school and actually making it an appropriate size and putting it where kids have access to pool, soccer fields, and healthcare, as opposed to McDonald's, marijuana shops, and difficult traffic. traffic situations. <laughs> More traffic. <laughs> now, we're talking about housing and, and we're talking about land use. And I feel a little unfair about this because I didn't ask the other candidates this, but you're talking about making the best use of land. Now, there's a piece of land in Brackendale, the Brackendale Art Gallery. Now, that's, of course, privately owned, but that is an amenity that benefits the community. And there's a lot of discussion about what could happen. I know that Tor, ideally, he'd actually like to see the district take it over. But, of course, as you say, we're already looking at $200 million in spending on necessary amenities. So... You know, another three, four, maybe even $5 million for the Brackendale Art Gallery might be a bridge too far. What do you see happening with, with the bag? Well, I love the bag. I've, I got married at the bag. So I, I, uh, I've utilized that space to its, to its fullest degree. Uh, I'm a musician as well. I, I, you know, watching musicians there and having community hubs in every neighborhood is really important. I'm more concerned about you know, having a long-term art space I think a lot of the councillors have had concerns about how much work has to be put into that and the fact that it's next to a rail spur. There is no doubt that we need that hub to be maintained. There's community groups right now trying to raise funds to purchase it, and I think that is probably the best way with Muni support, uh, Muni administration support, but financing, it's again, it'll be the priorities. And with a new council, I'm sure they'll have a lot of different priorities. But for me, having a centralized art space, I would love to see an all-season art space open up. I would love to see something like a Bard in the Beach tent be put on our downtown land so that it's something that's reasonably priced and gives us all-season weatherproof stage that is a reasonable cost is something that can be done as well. I worked in the arts for a long time, so I know even just having a stage on Logger Sports, a simple shell that can be pulled on and off and be used in all weather, allows the community to grow in its art spaces. And as you say, the Brackendale Art Gallery, having community hub spaces that are walkable in each area is an amazing thing, and that's been an amazingly sentimental space but it wasn't built to code. So we'd have to do an immense, that's an understatement, <laughs> but it's a beautiful space, you know? Not Can't help but chuckle on that I one, know, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Anything that was rebuilt there would be massively expensive. So having a space like the Point in Whistler that's run privately but is muni-supported, I could see uh, the Brackendale Art Yeah, and the Point's like probably that. the closest example we have. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and they've been very successful in running that. Yes. Although it's, the bag is actually a little bit larger scale than what they have at the Point. It's still the exact same feel. It's a community. It's a stage that's leasable by the community, and a community gathering area. The same thing. If the point had to be rebuilt, it would go through the same thing because of the access to water in the area. Brackendale. That brings up the point. And of it's the Brackendale. right next to a rail line exactly. as well. I just want to ask you, I guess, the final question, or final question oh, for I, me, I, I don't know I about got, Marcus. I got a couple more. more Marcus has got a couple <laughs> more, but I'll, I'll, I'll throw my two cents, and then I'll let Marcus have a four, because I've been hogging the, the mic here. Big picture, what is the future of Squamish? Is it tech rec? What even is tech rec? Is it 
you know, are we basically, you know, in terms of industry, in terms of business, are we mainly going to be tourism, recre outdoor recreation focused? Is that what you see the vision of Squamish or is it something else? I think that when we hub businesses together, they grow together. And this is the exact same. We know RecTech has grown in this community because of passionate, involved community members that see a hole in the market and grow it. So Blur, Seven Mesh, these companies, as well as the breweries. I mean, our craft products in all sectors are amazing. And growing our craft small businesses requires zoning amendments and requires spaces to be built actually allowing these businesses to grow within their community. Otherwise, we're going to lose them to bigger communities. Rec tech sector, of course, because of our environment, because of the ease of testing the products, but mostly because of the passion of our small business community. In all sectors, the passionate people in this community have utilized their relationships outside of the community to grow businesses inside the community. They're mostly hubbed in the same place. I like to call it the pleasure district <laughs> because it's now home to that, that's most That's open of our craft to some beverages. misinterpretation there. No red lights. There are no red lights. Okay. And, uh, but, you know, our craft beverage district, those businesses can't expand. They already, they're at capacity. They were at capacity as soon as they opened their doors. They're only allowed 30 people inside. I'd like to change the regulations so that they are allowed to expand and run proper breweries in that district and then active transportation to that region. The whole idea of not being able to sell your product out the front, uh, there's no retail allowed in the business park right now. And, you know, in every other place in the world where you have industrial or semi-industrial areas, because of the lack of ability for people to grow into spaces in downtown cores and the expense of residentialization, it's been difficult for these businesses to expand. So we put them all in one region, but then we gave them incredibly strict ways that they can operate their businesses. So those regulations, that red tape has to go away in order to allow those businesses to expand. Those rec tech companies need to be able to sell their products out of their front door and also be able to ship internationally. So space, parking, all of those things have to be addressed. So now we're talking about people with passion. Now let's switch gears a little bit to council because we're looking at pretty much a whole slate of new people. <laughs> that's like, that's how so pleasant it was. It's like, so that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that, that, that's, the, that's the thing, right? I mean, there's so many not coming back. And would you just say it's just they just reached their limit to what they can do or there's just the vision has changed? What would you, why would you only see maybe one incumbent? Without being mean? <laughs> well, that, well, try your best not to be mean. Huh? Oh, no, I, can't, I don't know. It was, it was, I go back to the communication on this council was incredibly difficult. And we weren't involved. Agendas would show up and then they'd be amended every Tuesday. We honestly, you don't really get a good grasp of what's going on when things are constantly changing fast. And that's a lot to do with the community as well and the lack of policy we had. But instead of focusing on renovating our policy and ensuring that our policy was in place, we've done some amazing things. The flood hazard management plan, the wastewater plan. But then you look at the plans and you're like, okay, $56 million here and this much money there. Again, it's the same amount. It's, a, it's the same thing is, is how much money and then not collecting the money and then incentivizing large businesses. And so it was always a 4-3 vote and the communication was incredibly difficult and adversarial. You're looking forward to a whole new bunch of new faces then? I'm looking forward to bringing together diversity of opinion. I, you know, my opinion will be one. And election time is really difficult. You're asked, what's your platform? What are you going to change in four years? 
I really see this community as a diversity of opinions that need to be brought together in a positive way that to ensure that everybody has a voice, to ensure that each member of the community or not uh, each platform in the community is heard and understood and that your policy reflects that so that we're moving policy forward that reflects community values. Because I think there's going to be a challenge for the first six months uh, if you have all new faces of people in there going to be learning how, like, you know, you have people who've, who've been to council meetings, they see the what's up at front, but when it comes to the nuance behind, there's going to be a lot of catching up to do. So, I mean, the plans that maybe you've had the first six months, you might have mm -hmm. to sort of go, okay, instead of hold some hands, perhaps, how, how are you going to manage all that? Each business that I've created in town is always managing personalities and managing differences of opinion and managing how people want to be in a space. And in politics, it's an amazing opportunity. It's, it's an incredible opportunity to bring people together. When you're running a platform that's based on divisiveness or I want to do this or I'm against this, I've never ran a platform on no or yes. You have to be open to new ideas because each idea that somebody brings to the table especially if they're elected by the community, must be respected, must be listened to, and allowing people to have opportunity. I mean, I didn't sit in the mayor's office at all this term. I, you know, we weren't involved in bringing strategies forward. We did strategy the first year. We never, you know, there's very little opportunity we've had. We, it was not never, but once in a while we talk about strategy, but really didn't have a cohesive strategy going forward. So I hope that we can do shirt sleeve roll-up sessions right off the bat to make sure that everybody's opinion is listened to, that the councillors have an opportunity to get their feet wet, and they're going to be passionate about getting whatever they feel they've ran on, getting that information forward. And I don't see a problem with if they've been elected to get that platform forward is, is giving kudos to those platforms. I have no more questions. Are you, are you, I, I think she's I answered think, everything we I asked. Think, I think so. <laughs> I think uh, we've covered all the bases we, we today. We covered renting, we covered housing, we covered, I think, yeah, well, LNG. Let's throw the, <laughs> let's throw the big <laughs> elephant in the room Excellent. on the table. My favorite topic. All right. <laughs> how do you feel about LNG? Oh, how I feel about it? Well, okay. Not how Personally? You feel. How, do, how do we deal with <laughs> let, LNG let me, moving let's forward? Let's ask that in a slightly more intelligent way. <laughs> do you think, would you be in favor of wood fiber LNG and... If so, what would be the conditions that you would be that would make you to be in favor of it? Excellently worded question, Alan. Thank you. That was worded. well done. He tried. It was yeah. about as articulate I as, I, articulate as articulate. I get. The caffeine is running low, I think. <laughs> yeah, so so another coffee would help. But anyways, yes, there you go. There's the question. We have that. Um, LNG has been a divisive, horrendous, splitting. Uh, yeah, it's it's been horrible in our community. There's, it's made people pro or anti and not looking at what the Canadian economy runs on, not looking at the fact that we, as a municipal government, have no decision-making authority. I have made it very clear that I have no decision-making authority on this issue when three levels of government have approved something. I'm pretty confident that it's going to go through. So what I feel about it is that we have to extract as much resources from the company as possible. We have to ensure that we have a fair tax deal and we have to negotiate that tax bill. We have not negotiated a tax bill. We had the opportunity to extract more taxes than uh, Wood Fiber previously played before. They were willing to sit down which with us. Which was over $2 million a year. Which was well over $2 million. We wanted, uh, you know, the number $5 million was bantered, bantered around. Well, the political assessment, I think, was seven, right? The 
provincial, sorry, the provincial assessment was five. No, but we're talking about revenue to the district of right, Squamish. What they were that's going to pay us, but the actual assessment of tax worth would have been from the province. I believe they said seven. Okay, but anyways, without right. anyway, so at one point it was up to five. <laughs> Wood Fiber was looking at five million dollars a year in revenue to the district without the opportunity to sit down and negotiate, which we haven't done. If we had sat down to negotiate, the no fraction of our council, uh, the people that were elected on no would have been signaling to their voters that they were actually uh, in favor or that it was coming. So we haven't sat down. Because we've had a divisive council and a no council that was elected, we've missed the opportunity to negotiate anything. We haven't taken anything in. We haven't built relationships. And now it's coming. And we have people promising to negotiate tax deals that have never sat down with the company and haven't actually built relationships at all. Because we're looking at a lot of development, right? We're looking at Darrell Bay. We're looking at housing, uh, looking at building housing in Britannia Beach, not necessarily in Squamish. If there's a spill, what kind of setup is there to clean up any spill? I Absolutely. Know Those are important in issues. There's, there's no never in the entire history know, of LNG, I know, I know. half a century, there's never been an okay. LNG spill. Anyway. It doesn't spill. It evaporates. But there's never there's never been if there's any a puncture for, of a hall, of a ship If there's, sh- if there's any hall. need That's for right. cleanup, because they're talking about retrofitting old ships, they're bringing up old ships, not necessarily one up the code. But anyway. You know, the system's in place for, yeah. uh, in case anything does in fact happen. No, um, safety so response is exactly. incredibly, response. incredibly important. And all of those things need to be negotiated, but we've lost that ability to negotiate. When you have somebody running on a platform of no, and then all of a sudden comes out and says, I'm going to fix these things now because it's coming, or I'm going to negotiate a tax deal. When you're working with companies that you haven't built a relationship with, and regardless of who comes into town with a business, I don't look at the business and say, I like you, I don't like you. It's your job in politics. If somebody's moving into your town to understand what their place in the district is. So we've lost all the professional office space to Britannia Beach now. We're, they're building their professional office space out of town. So all, that's more people from our community driving down south and congesting the highway. You know, negotiating, extracting money for our district is my job. That's my opinion. And you feel my opinion is I, I want to take as much for my community and get as many resources as possible from that company. And that company has put $700,000 into our community, into all sorts of things, and into the House Sounds Robotics program, into a lot of different things. Everybody's taken grants, and that's their job for corporate social responsibility. That's our job is to extract cash from people that have more resources to give them to the people that have less resources. And taxation is huge. So at this point, do, do you have somewhat, like, do we have less leverage now than we did before? We have no leverage. So we have zero leverage. Well, wh- what leverage do we have? It's well, coming. I'm you. We haven't sat down with the company. We've been adversarial to them at every single meeting. Now, Britannia Beach has said, come to our town. We're going to come come to Britannia Beach. We're open to building infrastructure for you. We're happy to have your professional offices here. And so now we've lost that taxation as well and the jobs. And now our community has to commute. So, And there are people moving here for those jobs. Britannia Beach is the SLRD. That's right. So we could still negotiate with the SLRD because Britannia Beach is not an incorporated town. Yes, we can negotiate, but negotiate when they've, chosen to, and it's public knowledge that they've been working with Britannia Beach on moving their professional offices there. And our council was not told that at all. So we weren't given the opportunity to even say, can we bring them back? Because 
again, it's all about signaling. And if you know about business negotiations, and I do know about business negotiations, I also have an MBA. Jeff Cook has an MBA from the 80s, and I have an MBA from the recent economy. So I know about the globalized climate of business negotiations. And really, building jobs in this town has been my prerogative for over 20 years. And negotiating agreements, negotiating leasing contracts, negotiating with my practitioners, negotiating with other levels of government, the rape kits, province, I negotiated having forensic testing for women in our district. I am good at building relationships and my personal opinion about things has to be left out much of the time. I have lung disease and it's been very, I've been in the paper saying that lung disease and gas is the reason I moved to this community. And that's, you know, imagining children that have to breathe particulate and this whole flat earth notion that we don't breathe that same particulate, that the earth doesn't rotate and that air shed isn't our air shed. And then we've got to keep our share air shed clean, but their air shed can be dirty. That bothers me. That NIMBY, that I find that just straight out NIMBYism. I have, you know, my supporters have healthcare disease. I have healthcare problems. A lot of us moved here because we were off coal. So getting people off coal, and it's not whether it's displacing coal, it's if we don't have LNG going to other places, it's they're going to build, coal isn't what they're going to burn. For me, that's my personal opinion. My professional opinion as a counselor is that I need to extract as much as I can for my community. I want to ensure that the jobs stay local. I want to ensure that the tax base stays local. And working provincially has been exactly what I've done. Women in our district were coming to me and saying, there's a rohypnol problem in this district. And one in three women are being raped in our community. That was a huge problem. And I had to go public. I negotiated with the healthcare minister, and we ended up with healthcare resources because of me negotiating that and me going public. I'm willing to stand up for my community and fight for what our community needs. And I'm willing to build relationships out of kindness and goodness, not out of saying no, but what can we do better? Okay, well, well we, that, that's uh, a cherry on top right there. <laughs> so there you go. So we're, 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 we're your information now, right? Is that, that's where we're getting at? Where, yeah, because we're, we're getting over 45 minutes. We don't want to bore, well, not that we're boring people, but we, we don't want to bore we, people. We know people only have so much attention span, so we're going to have to wrap this up. So where, where they can find more information in your platform and so forth? Any of my social media feeds or going to Susan Chappelle for Mayor, Dot .ca gives all my social media feeds and my platform and my blog. Uh, my flyers will be around the community and your amazing podcasts that have gotten out in the community. I really appreciate you guys doing podcasts. It's a great way to get information out there. Well, again, thanks for coming on. And remember, if you don't vote October 20th, you've got no right to complain. And October 10th and you, October 13th. Right, the advanced voting as well. There's no excuse. You can vote October 10th. Uh, well, you know what? Y repetition works. <laughs> you can vote October 10th at the 55-plus uh, activity center down in e the Eagle Wing Complex, or you can vote uh, pre-advance October 13th at Brennan Park. And, yeah. of course, October 20th and at Brennan Park. And, again, the main day, October 20th at Brennan Park. And thanks again, Susan, for coming on. And thank you very much, and we'll, we'll catch you again soon. Thank you, guys. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky podcast. Thank you for clicking us on. 